Thank you, Johnny. Thank you very much. It is uh, it's great to be here. I heard someone from Louisiana, is that right? Some, who's from Louisiana? All three of them, great. Glad you're here. You know, Johnny said, um, I have been married for 22 years. I have five children. I remember when I graduated, I had just been married a few years, and we had one child. She was two months old. Now, we just found out on our, well, we found out last year on our 21st anniversary that we were expecting our fifth child. Now, that was a little bit of a surprise to us. When my wife told me that, I immediately went to the Internet and I began searching down the list of what you're supposed to buy your spouse on the various anniversaries, the 10, 15, 20th, and I couldn't find kids anywhere on there. And so after about three months, we, uh, we decided, you know, we better tell the other four kids that there's going to be a new addition to the family. And we had three girls and one boy, and so we, uh, we pulled them all in the room. We said, hey, we've got some news for you. Um, Mama's going to have a, a new baby. We're going to have a new addition to the family. Now, the girls were excited. They were absolutely excited. They were going to have this little one they could dress up and carry around. And my son, David, who was eight years old, he looked at me, and he didn't say a word. And finally, after a few minutes, he said, Dad, if it's another girl, I'm out of here. You know, there are those today that uh, are hoping that with the, the changing political landscape of our nation, with some of our great leaders like Dr. Jerry Falwell, who have gone on to be with the Lord, who was a mentor of mine, and who I'm so grateful for the legacy that he has left, and Dr. D. James Kennedy and, and others, that they, they, we see the articles written in the papers about how the, the evangelical, the Christian, social conservative population is just kind of drifting off, that we're no longer concerned about the future of our nation and the future of our world. Well, I think we have to send a very clear message that no matter what comes our way, we're not going to go away. We're here to stay. And I'm happy to... I hope all three of you will... I hope there's more than that. I'm happy to report that uh, David after we found out at the birth of Samuel Adam Perkins that David is unpacked and he's staying too. So he's not going anywhere and I'm not going anywhere and I hope that you, as a, a graduate eventually of Liberty University, will make your mark wherever God places you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. What a great group of young people. Lord, world changers right here. I thank you for the vision of Dr. Falwell and uh, the legacy that continues under Jonathan and Jerry. And Lord, for those that have come up around him like Johnny, and I just I ask, Lord, for a greater anointing, that, Lord, the, the, that the future will be even more exciting than the past. And, Lord, for each and every person here this morning, Lord, I ask that in this, these few moments that the Holy Spirit would come, anoint our ears to hear our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And I pray, Father, for your messenger, that, Lord, you would anoint me, that I would speak nothing other than what you would have me to speak. Nothing I say or do, I pray, would hinder what you desire to do in this place this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's been a lot of talk about change lately. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but in fact, there was a recent poll in the, by the New York Times and CBS News that said 81% of Americans said America is on the wrong track and they want change. In fact, there has been a lot of discussion about change 
In fact, if you'll turn your attention to the screen for just a moment, I have a short video clip I would like you to see. Well, I think the president uh, hit the nail on the head. As I travel around the country, people have an urgent desire for change in Washington. So we're going to have to see fundamental change. You speak out powerfully for change. We are united for change. I love change. What we need is somebody who can deliver change. Real change, big change, bold change. Washington has to change. What will occur every time he speaks out for change? Can I talk change with you? Every time I fight for change? For 25 years, I brought change. You are the candidate of change. Change is a concept. I have been an agent of change. I embody change. Not only can I talk change with you, I've lived it. Both of us are powerful voices for change. Making change. You bring about change. 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 It is evident that there is a quest for change in America today. The politicians are promising it, and the American people are clamoring for change. But I want you to know this morning that it's not just the politicians that want change. It's not just the voters in America that want change. But God himself wants change in America. But he wants real, life-transforming, eternity-impacting change. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Jesus had spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying and being tempted by Satan, and he is beginning his public ministry. And so we pick up in verse 17 of chapter 4 at the beginning of this public ministry, and it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the Greek word for repent literally means to change, metatono. It means to, to change one's mind, to change one's direction, to change one's whole outlook. You see, there is a hunger and a quest for change in America, and it is God's heart that we change, but his desire is for real change. Now, this message of real change is a consistent message. Jesus' message was the same as John the Baptist. His message over in chapter 3 of Matthew, we read in verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see that Jesus, his message, his, his ministry was calling men and women to change. It was the same message that John the Baptist preached of change. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 12, we see where the disciples, you know, Jesus had the 12 around him, and then he had a broader group of disciples that followed him. He trained them, equipped them, and, you know, they were kind of, they were pastors in teaching and training, and, and they were, they came to that big day where they were sent out on their own. Jesus said, all right, guys, it's time for you to go out two by two and do what I've taught you to do. And we read about that in Mark chapter 6, verse 12. So what do you think the disciples did on that first big day on the job when they were all alone and it was just up to them to, to do the work that Jesus had taught them to do? What did they do? It says in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 6, verse 12, so they went out and they preached that people should repent, that they should change. That word appears over 50 times in the New Testament. Now, think about this for a moment. If Jesus were launching his ministry, in, in terms of how we look at ministry today, I mean, if Jesus, if his ministry were to be successful, he would need to have a big crowd, a lot of people. And there Jesus was at creation. Jesus was there at all of the events throughout history. I mean, Jesus was there in heaven. He knew all of the intricacies and details of heaven. I mean, if Jesus really wanted to build a crowd and a great ministry, according to today's standards, I could just see the marquee. Come here, the man from Nazareth, who will tell you about all of the secrets of heaven. I mean, have you seen all of the books written about the afterlife? People want to know. They're curious. We're curious about what God doesn't tell us in great detail. And Jesus he could have built a great crowd by just telling people of the wonders of heaven and, and what was to come in the afterlife. But that was not Jesus' message. Jesus' message was very plain, very simple, but yet very hard. Because he called men and women and young people to embrace a life of repentance, a life of change. You know, he could have taught on the secrets of heaven. But rather he spoke about how if you and I want to embrace the kingdom of heaven, we must first embrace change, repentance. Now there is a counterfeit message to this consistent message of repentance, John the Baptist, Jesus, the disciples. By the way, if John the Baptist's message was repentance, Jesus' message was repentance, the disciples' message was repentance. What should be the message of the church today? Should it not be the same? Should we not be calling people to change? I believe in the absence of that message of calling people to embrace a life of changed, a life of repentance, that it gives rise to a counterfeit message. There was that counterfeit message in Jesus' day. There were those that were looking for political change. Even one of Jesus' disciples, called Simon the Zealot, was looking for political change. In fact, you remember a number of Jesus' followers grew frustrated and left him because he was not the political Messiah that they were looking for. They were not looking for a Savior. They were not looking for spiritual transformation. They were looking for a leader, a political leader, to be raised up. The Zealots, they date back to... The period of the Maccabees, when in 160 B.C. they threw off the Syrian rule. And for a time, the nation of Israel was restored. But in 
63 BC, the Jewish people came under domination of the Romans. But the zealots continued to, to try and establish Mosaic law, even if it meant violence. And that's what was happening in Jesus' day. There were those, even his own followers, who were looking for that political change. Now I heard an account of a man who had an old farmhouse outside of town and he was having difficulty with, with mice. And so he went into town one night and got a mouse trap and went back to set it up, got home, was putting it in place and realized he had not gotten any cheese. He said, well, these mice are pretty stupid. They won't know the difference. So he cut out a picture of a piece of cheese from a magazine, stuck it in the trap and went to bed. Next morning, he uh, got up wondering what he may have caught in his mouse trap and he goes in and he checks out the mouse trap and lo and behold, the picture of the piece of cheese was gone. And in its place was a picture of a mouse. You see, a counterfeit message will produce counterfeit results. If we don't have a consistent, genuine message, a real message of change, we will not get the real change that God is looking for. You see, there is a counterfeit message of change that is being offered to America today. The same that some looked for in Jesus' day, political change. Now, let me stop there for a moment. This may sound like an odd message coming from someone in Washington, D.C. that is involved in public policy saying that we're not looking for political change. Does that mean that we're not to be involved in the political arena, that we're not to be involved in government? Absolutely not. I have spent most of my adult life in the political arena. But if you and I are looking to government for change, we're looking to the wrong place. You see, you and I should not be looking, we, we cannot look to the to government, we can't look to the economic structures of this world, we cannot look to the educational establishments, we can't look to entertainment to change the world. We should be looking to change the world through a changed life in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now I believe that, in fact, I've just written a book along with Bishop Harry Jackson, an African-American pastor in Maryland, called Personal Faith Public Policy. Was that for the book or for Bishop Jackson? Maryland, okay, all right. Well, how about one for the book? Thank you. Delaware? In this book, we talk about the seven key areas facing our nation that we as Christians should not just be pro, uh, we, we shouldn't just be pointing out the problems of these areas, but rather as Christians, we should be bringing solutions, whether it's the issue of immigration, whether it's poverty, whether it's racial reconciliation, whether it's the sanctity of marriage or the preservation of human life. We as Christians should be bringing solutions to the table. But we only do that when we have encountered a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ in which we have embraced a life of change. Let me, uh, let me ask you a question. I think, I hope I know the answer. How many in, in here 
want to leave a mark on the world. You want to change the world around you. I mean, I wouldn't think that you would be here unless that was a part of your passion. Let me tell you a way I believe we can change the world. We could change America overnight, I believe. You think about, you hear about, especially at election time, you hear about the, the number of evangelicals, the number of social conservatives who vote and how they make up such a large percentage of the voting base. Let me tell you how we can change the world. If you and I would commit ourselves over the next 12 months to win at least one person to the Lord Jesus Christ, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and lead them into a personal relationship with him, we could change the world. We would double the population of Christians. And then there, obviously it follows up with discipleship. I'm all about churches doing voter registration and Christians registering to vote and, 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 and all of the voter registration and getting people to vote and involved in the process. But I'm more about getting people's names on the Lamb's Book of Life, getting them in that eternal register. And you and I can change the world if we would commit ourselves to challenging others to embrace true, eternal change. Now, if we're to see change come to America or to the country, our home country, whatever it may be, the church must lead the way. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, God gives us a very clear prescription of how we're to do this. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You notice it begins with a very clear description, if my people. It doesn't say if the political structure or the political leaders will simply put out resolutions and call for people to pray. It says, if my people. Well, if you're a Christian, if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, then you're his people. And it's up to us if we're to see true repentance and change. It says we're to humble ourselves. Literally there in the Hebrew, that means to, to bow the knee, to, to recognize our total and absolute dependence upon Jesus Christ. That's hard for us as Americans. I, I, I can speak to that as Americans. We're such a proud people. We, we, we're reluctant to recognize and actually identify as being a needy people in need of God's hand. Of course, associated with the whole idea of humbling in, in the Old Testament is, is fasting. That's not something we talk a lot about these days. Fasting, that's, no one really likes to talk about fasting. I mean, when was the last time some of your friends called you up and said, hey, come on over to the apartment Friday night and let's fast? It's a lot cheaper than buying pizza, I'll tell you. But we're to humble ourselves, and it says, and to pray. Now, this isn't the type of prayer that we've grown accustomed to of checklist prayers, of just praying down for our needs, this, this, and this, but rather it's a prayer of intercession, crying out for our nation, crying out for those who are bound up in, in bondage of sin. And I, I want to tell you something this morning. The, those that fight against us on policy issues, whether it be radical pro-abortionist or the radical homosexual lobbyist who are pushing to redefine marriage. Friends, they're not our enemy. 
They are held captive by the enemy. And we should be crying out on their behalf to God and interceding for them and for our nation. I have a confession to make. I, uh, I'm a little claustrophobic, and so I, uh, when I travel, I, I've instructed my staff under, under no circumstances am I to have a, a window seat. I have to have an aisle seat. Not, not, not a big deal. They'll just be looking for a new job. But I, I had a last-minute change of plans a, uh, a while back and had to go to a different place, and, and I got the last seat on the plane. And what do you know, it was a window seat on the very last aisle or last row. And it was one of those commuter seats, the planes, where they just have two seats on each side. And I don't know if you travel much, but I mean, these planes seem to get smaller and smaller. It's to the point where it takes teamwork just to eat the peanuts that they give you. So I get on the plane and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm back there in the corner and I'm, the seat's empty there for a moment. And I'm, I'm praying and hoping that the seat will stay empty. And the plane begins to fill up and the seat's empty and I'm thinking, oh, the Lord's heard my prayer. And then all of a sudden, the plane sinks about two inches. And I look down the aisle and there's a guy about two times the size of the Incredible Hulk. I mean, he has to walk sideways down the aisle. And I'm thinking, no, Lord, please, not me. (laughs) No. He sits down next to me and I'm sitting there and perspiration is beginning to pop out of my forehead. I'm saying, Lord, this is not going to work. I'm going to I'm just going to lose it midair. A sky marshal is going to take me out. It's going to be headlines. It's just going to be a horrible situation. You know, it seemed like an eternity passed, at least three minutes, and the gate attendant gets on the plane and walks down the aisle to the row that we're seated in, and he looks at the guy next to me and says, Sir, I'm sorry, the plane's overweight. You've got to get off. Man, I really started praying, Lord, please don't tell him I prayed that. Please, please. I confess that's not the type of prayer God is calling us to, to change a nation. Does he care about you and I? Does he care about our needs and our wants? Yes, absolutely he does. But where he wants us is he wants us on our knees before him, crying out on behalf of those who are held captive in the bondage of sin. He wants to bring us to a point where our hearts feel his pain and his brokenness for those who do not know him. And at that point, when our hearts are broken for the broken, he can use us to mend the brokenhearted. Then he goes on, I want you to seek my face. I find it fascinating that God, when he lays out this prescription for change, that he didn't say, just seek me, but he says, seek my face. Because I can tell you absolutely without hesitation where we would go if we were left to our own devices. We would go and seek the hand of God. We're very proficient at seeking the hand of God. God, help, God provide this. God, help us out of this situation. God, do this for us. And what God is most interested in is a relationship with you. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you know, they're, they're looking at you and they're looking at what you're wearing, what you're carrying. They're looking at everything but your face. You never make eye contact and you walk away. I mean, they're looking behind you and you walk away thinking, you know, I, hadn't, I didn't even connect with that person. And that's what God is saying. I want you to, to seek my face. I want to come eye to eye with you. I want to have, I want to know you. 
few years ago, one of my daughters was invited to a birthday party at one of these, it was called Celebration Station. It's really just a money trap where they try to get all the quarters out of the parents. I, w I don't know why other parents do that. I would never do that to another parent. And so we, you know, we have to take all the kids over there. And it was easy when my wife and I just had two kids. We could go someplace like that, and we would kind of do man-on-man -man defense. She would take one, I would take one. Now with uh, five, you've got to kind of do zone defense. I have to take a certain zone, she takes a certain zone. And we were in there, and I was supposed to be watching Grace, who was four years old at the time, and, and people were coming up talking to me, and I lost track of her, and, and she just disappeared. And I'll have to tell you, I became panicked after about five minutes. And I eventually had to tell my wife that I kind of fell down on the job. And so she, uh, we both began looking. I posted two of the older kids at the door. And, you know, my experience as a police officer and all that just became, comes back immediately and you began to get worried because you know what can happen. And we searched and eventually I saw a little blonde head on the other side of the room and I was so relieved I ran over to, uh, to, to holler for Grace and, and I yelled out her name and this little blonde head turned around and it wasn't Grace and that wave of relief I had left and panic again gripped me and we began searching until finally we found her behind uh, one of these games just playing with a little toy that she had won but it wasn't until I got right there and I had her in my arms and I saw her face to face that I was assured that it was her. And I took her into my arms and I sensed that relief. You know, and that's what God is saying there. He says, I, I want to see you face to face. He is searching for that relationship with us. And then he says, I want you to turn from your wicked ways. I hear so many people say, well, you know, when I get my life straight, then I'm going to start following the Lord. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to serve him when I just get rid of this, this thing that's kind of bothering me in my life. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be doing that all your life. You're never going to get yourself cleaned up enough to be acceptable to God. In fact, it is only through coming face to face with God that we're able to change our lives. That's what he's saying. Once you come and you, you're into the presence of a holy God, those, those, those secret sins in your life that entangle you and keep you from being all that God desires for you to be, all of a sudden are no longer important when you know the holiness and the embrace of God. I heard a story of a country preacher who was preaching about the evils of alcohol and there was a local referendum on the ballot and he was trying to get all of his people fired up to go out and vote and vote alcohol out of the county. And so he was preaching this message and he was working up to a crescendo and to a close and he said, if I could take all of the beer in the world, I would take it and pour it into the river. He said, if I could take all of the, the wine in the world, I would take it and I would pour it into the river. And then closing out his message. He said, if I could take all of the whiskey in the world, I would pour it into the river. Confident that he had made his point with his congregation, he sat down. The song leader got up to close the service. It was a traditional Baptist church, and he said, 
If you'll please stand with me and turn to hymn 368, Shall We Gather at the River? You see, I believe part of the problem in America today is that the church is sending mixed signals. You see, we would rather elect change than embrace repentance. Let me say that again. We would rather elect change than embrace repentance. We, don't, we want someone else to change the direction of America. And we think we can do that just by changing a political party or by electing a certain individual when what God says is fundamental to changing the course of a nation is that his people embrace a life of repentance. Where are you this morning? Are you looking for the easy way out? That counterfeit message? Are you willing to embrace a life of change? A life of repentance? You see, if we do that, the world will follow. If we as the church will humble ourselves and seek the face of God and repent, we can change the world. Because the world is looking for change but they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for real people. They're looking for people who not just preach one thing and walk another, but they're looking for those who will walk the talk, those who are authentic in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means it begins with you and me as individuals. Let me close with this. J. Edwin Orr, was a great historian and about revivals and he was a contemporary of Dr. Billy Graham. In fact, he was with Billy Graham a number of years ago in a crusade that was held in Beverly Hills, California. And in that particular crusade there was a notorious gangster there listening to the message that day. His name was Mickey Cohen. And he was very interested in what Billy Graham had to say. In fact, he requested a meeting with Dr. Graham and others after that service that day. And Mr. Orr writes, Dr. Orr writes about that meeting and says that he asked a lot of questions but did not make a profession of faith. Sometime later, a, a friend of Cohen's who was also a Christian shared with him the Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. And on that particular occasion, Cohen made a profession. He said, All right, I'll let Jesus into my heart. But there was no evidence after that day of change in Cohen's life. No change. So his friend confronted him sometime later and he says, He says, Mickey, you said you invited Christ into your heart, but there's been no change. Cohen fired back. He said, well, you didn't tell me I had to change. You didn't tell me I had to give up my work, meaning his gangster activity. He said, you didn't tell me I had to give up my friends, meaning fellow gangsters. And Orr concluded that story by saying this. He says, the fact is repentance is the missing note in much of modern evangelism today. See, the nation is clamoring for change, but change that requires no real change. 
If we're to have real change in America, it will only occur on the heels of spiritual repentance. You want to change America? You want to change your nation? You must first embrace Jesus' call of change yourself. And then we must be bold enough to, ch- to call and challenge the world to change as well. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for, again, the legacy of Liberty University. Thank you for the young men and women that are here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for their passion to change the world around them. Father, I pray that we would not be deceived with a counterfeit message that somehow we can simply take the easy way out and elect change. Are elections important? Absolutely. Is public policy important? Absolutely. But it is not our salvation. It is not our hope. Our hope is in you. I pray, Father, that you would convict our hearts, that, Lord, we would take that same message of John the Baptist, of Jesus, of the disciples, calling the world to repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. With every head bowed, every eye closed here this morning, I want to ask you a question. Earlier I asked how many of you want to change the world. I challenge you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone this year. I want to ask you to make that commitment to God, to say, if, Lord, if you'll give me the opportunity, if you'll give me the courage and the boldness I want to lead someone into a relationship, a life-changing relationship with you. If you want to make that, if you're willing to make that commitment before God this morning, I I just want you to stand up right where you are because I want to pray for you. Father, you see those who are standing all across this auditorium this morning. They're saying, Lord, I commit that if you'll give me the opportunity, if you'll give me the courage and the boldness, that I will share the life-transforming, the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with someone in this next year. I pray that it's not just one, but Lord, they're making a commitment. And I pray that even now, Lord, you'd begin to implant in their heart that individual, that member of the family that they know, a, a co-worker, a, a, a fellow student, a, a friend, a neighbor. Father, I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would begin to speak to their heart of who that is, and they would begin to pray. And at the appropriate time, you would give them the opportunity. And Father, we might change the world one soul at a time. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning. You walked an aisle at one point in your life. Maybe you even, like Mickey Cohen, prayed a prayer inviting Christ into your heart, but you never embraced his message of change. If you look at your life, it's just the same as it always has been. There's really no difference between you and some of your friends who you know are not Christians. My friends, Jesus is calling you to change. He's calling you to repentance. 
He's calling you to come into a relationship with him. And with no one looking around, I, I want to I ask you one more time, I want to ask one more question. If that's you this morning and you've never invited Christ into your heart, I want to pray for you. In fact, I want to be so bold is that if you're here this morning, you've never embraced that call to change, and you know it if you were honest with yourself. I want to ask you to come down here to the altar this morning and make that decision. We're not going to be here but just a couple of minutes. If you've never invited Christ into your heart, you've never embraced his call to change, and you want to be a world transformer, you have to first be transformed yourself. I want, you to, I want you to come right now, right where you are. Don't hesitate. Don't be, don't be afraid. Anyone. Father, Lord, I thank you for those that are here this morning. I thank you for those who have made a commitment that they are going to be used by you to share the gospel with others. Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning